This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First off, it's free, 100% free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. It couldn't be easier. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. How's it going, everybody? Chris Trapasso here with episode two of the Prospect Podcast on Monday, September 9th. Jumping right in, Justin Herbert, Tua Tagovailoa, my top two quarterbacks at this current point in time. Start in Tuscaloosa um, with Tagovailoa. Was not tested. Um, certainly wasn't last week against Duke and definitely not this week against McNeese State. Um, I thought he was still very, very good. Surgical in terms of the short passing game, getting it out quickly, accurately. A few throws on some screens did not have the best ball placement, but in general, he was good inside the pocket. Um, He threw with accuracy, but I want to zero in on one throw that he made that was very similar to the throw that Aaron Rodgers made in that season opening game against the Bears to uh, MVS down the field, where he kind of drifted to his left, but threw the ball to his right to kind of keep the safeties from coming over and making a play. Tagovailoa did this, but in the opposite direction, obviously, because he's a lefty, on a touchdown pass to Jerry Judy in the first half. Um, He was drifting to his right. He kind of had to because there was some pressure. He had no momentum to throw the football down the field to the left side, but still did. The ball went about 35, 40 yards in the air, perfectly thrown into the end zone to Jerry Judy. And it didn't have a ton of zip, but to me it showed that his arm strength um, at times can be a little bit above NFL average. That, that's been my one of my knocks on Tagovailoa. And it's been hard to find knocks because he was so good last year and he does so many next-level things already as a passer inside the pocket, whether it be looking off safeties, whether it be purposely throwing back shoulder throws on a slant like he did last week, um, really buzzing through his progressions. Um, But that throw to me, it it didn't totally ease all of my concerns about his arm, but it was just a highlight that he can drive the football when his lower half is just unable to help him create that power in his arm. Justin Herbert, um, second straight game over 70% completion percentage, which that might not seem like the biggest deal because as we know now, the completion percentage is not the end-all, be-all when it comes to a quarterback's accuracy. But just 
on paper for Justin Herbert after being above 60% completion as a sophomore and then under 60% last year, I think. Just the aesthetics of that. He wants to have that completion percentage be as high as possible um, just for scouts and for GMs to be able to point to that during the draft process. He averaged almost 12 yards per attempt against a really overmatched Nevada team. Five touchdowns, no interceptions. Didn't really play much um, well after the third quarter. Um, his best throw to me, though, if I highlighted one for Tua Tagovailoa, I'm going to highlight one for Herbert, um, was a play-action rollout to the left, so away from where he wants to throw the football, being a right-hander. It was a touchdown on a corner route. His receiver was open, not wide open, but he had separation. But it was more about the timing, the ball placement, um, the velocity, and just how natural Justin Herbert looked on that play. He's the best throw-on-the-run quarterback in college football and certainly um, is a step ahead of any of the draft-eligible quarterbacks that I've watched thus far throwing on the run. I mean, rolling to his right, it is absolutely no problem for him. But even rolling to his left, he just has the mechanics and the footwork down perfectly. And that throw was a great illustration of that. Um, but because this is my podcast, I'm not just going to talk about Herbert and talk about Lower this week. I have a little leeway. Joe Burrow from LSU. Does LSU finally have a quarterback? Um, because if they do, that could be a team that could beat Alabama and could really, I'm not going to say they're going to run the table in the SEC because it's such a gauntlet, but we haven't seen LSU play, especially on offense, with a quarterback that can throw for 471 yards with eight incompletions, four touchdowns and a pick. That was Joe Burrow's stat line in that game against Texas, which was an awesome setting. It wasn't at a neutral site. It was two traditional powers in the top 10, um, back and forth throughout the entire game. And that 471 was not inflated by screens, by tons of yards after the catch. Burrow made a handful of high-caliber high caliber. NFL-type throws down the field from inside the pocket. And speaking of him inside the pocket, I thought he looked so much more calm than he did last year. He was really, for the most part, a one-read-and-then-run quarterback. I mean, he was a great runner at LSU um, last season, but didn't really be put himself on the draft radar because um, he didn't make a lot of wow throws and just looked shaky inside the pocket, looked too antsy. That was not the case against Texas. And his offensive line is good. Texas did get after him a little bit. Um, but that seam throw in the first half to Justin Jefferson um, down the field that was a purposely back shoulder that was on a rope, um, even that third and 17 conversion at the end of the game that turned into the touchdown that gave LSU a two-touchdown lead um, late, that was a climb in the pocket to his left, couldn't really set his feet. It was an over route from right to left. Um, he was drifting to his left. Perfect accuracy, perfect velocity allowed Justin uh, Jefferson to create after the catch, and he certainly did, and I'll get to him in a second. So Joe Burrow is someone that I'm not going to say he's a first-round pick right now or that he's my number two quarterback, number three quarterback, but he's definitely on the radar, and he's going to go through a tough schedule in the SEC, um, but I want to see more from him and want to see if he can look as patient and as calm inside the pocket as he did 
um, against Texas throughout the rest of the season because as a former top recruit, he's got the arm, he's got the size, he has the athleticism to be a, maybe a first round pick or maybe a day two selection that can develop at the NFL level. Um, but with his skill position players, with his offensive line, if he can show that pocket poise and show accuracy down the field to make back shoulder seam throws, um, to throw the ball accurately down the field on some one-on-one go routes, he will be a highly talked about draft prospect um, during the pre-draft process. Jumping over to uh, Big Board Watch, Kalevon Chasen from LSU. I'm going to be talking about the Tigers a lot in this episode. He looks like a freak. He looks like the most dynamic first step of any edge rusher that I've watched early in this season. Um, He had a great game against Texas, had a sack, had a tackle for loss, got after Sam Ellinger quite a bit, did get banged up a little bit, and that's obviously the concern with him. He had played in two games last year before um, getting injured, and which ended his season, but he's someone with the length, with the explosiveness, and most importantly, with the ability to counter off of his speed rush. And his speed rush is going to threaten every single left tackle in college football because the get-off, the sustained speed, his bend is elite at the college level. But he can use his hands to swim back to the inside. He can spin. He's fantastic on stunts because of how athletic he is and how he can wrap the corner so tightly. So Chasen is definitely someone that, like Burrow, that we need to continue to keep our eye on, and I'll be keeping my eye on, during the, uh, the LSU's SEC season because he has freakish, and, and I wasn't going to put Burrow in the first-round conversation, Yet, Chasen, I think, is there at this point, even though it's early. But what we saw from him earlier in his LSU career, what he's shown through two games, um, that he has those that profile in terms of his athleticism and his size and his length of a first-round edge rusher. Jumping over to wide receiver watch, um, a quick segue into the LSU Tigers. Justin Jefferson, 6'3", 193-pound junior. Like Burrow, wasn't really on the draft radar coming into this season. Um, Had six catches for 163 yards and three touchdowns in that game against Texas. The first one, he took a shot over the middle, held onto the football. He had uh, that fantastic back shoulder catch where he was running down the seam and really demonstrated fantastic body control to be able to jump behind and over his head to make the catch come down with it, land, not drop the football. And then the speed that he showed on that third and 17 late, I thought he was just going to take the third and 17 catch, convert a huge third down, move the chains. He turned it upfield and looked like at least a 4-5 guy down the sideline to score that touchdown to really seal the win for LSU. So Justin Jefferson... Um, is someone that's kind of going to be new maybe in this wide receiver watch. Jerry Judy had three touchdowns. CeeDee Lamb had multiple touchdowns, um, but they were not facing top competition. I thought Judy looked fine. He looked explosive when he caught the football. It is interesting, though, that that he can catch the football down the field. We know that he's a good route runner, but but Alabama is trying to get him the football on swing passes out of the slot. They're just 
smartly that Steve Sarkeesian, their offensive coordinator, is saying, hey, we're not just going to try to get him the ball um, on intermediate routes and deep routes. We are going to feature him because he's so athletic and because he just moves differently. Um, we're going to get him the football in space on easy, high-percentage throws. And that's I think that's smart, and I think that's going to lead to a huge year for Jerry Judy, even in the SEC. Staying at the same team, Henry Ruggs, I mean, to catch that swing pass – um, and didn't even look like he was pressing when he ran down the football field. Now, again, they're fi- they're, he was facing McNeese State, but he looks like the fastest wide receiver in college football, scored on a 75-yard touchdown with ease, had um, four catches for 66 yards and another score um, in that game. He just is different, too, when he catches the football, even more so than Judy, that it's not even acceleration, it's... He is at top speed instantly and can sustain it clearly for almost the entire length of the football field. LaVisca Chenault from Colorado. Uh, Colorado had a great comeback win against a rival in Nebraska. LaVisca Chenault was not really a huge part of the offense, which was a little surprising. They used him in the run game. He had a couple of catches, but no real big plays. He fumbled late um, on a play where he did show off his ability to create in space. Didn't see the defender coming, kind of trailing the play um, near the sideline. He was looking back toward the middle of the field. Um, But kind of a stock down performance from him. Not that it was anything devastating to his draft stock in general, but you would think seeing the bo- or seeing the score and seeing that Colorado came back from being down seventeen nothing, uh, that Chenault would have been a huge part of that, and he really wasn't. It was more about Stephen Montez playing really well, their their big strong arm senior quarterback, um, and really dispersing the football to the other wide receivers on the Buffalo. So. So we'll have to kind of continue to see if Chenault um, is a feature in this offense and is producing um, as the number one guy, or it's more of a spread it around offense in Colorado this season. Uh, Jalen Rieger didn't play. Uh, TCU was off. They face Purdue next week. That's going to be an awesome matchup against Rondell Moore, who I'm sad is not draft eligible until next season. He had 13 catches over 200 yards um, in Purdue's win this week. I mean, he's just ridiculous. I, I, I don't even know of a comparison for him at, at this point. Tylen Wallace from Oklahoma State, um, they were not really tested in their matchup had multiple touchdowns, and kind of like Jerry Judy, they want to feature him on bubble screens and just quick swing passes because they know how fast he is. And he showed that on one of his scores. It was about as easy of a pitch and catch as you're going to see, and it's just a feature of that Oklahoma State offense. Caught the football, didn't look like he was running that fast, and then he ran past everyone, made a fantastic acrobatic catch, down the sideline on a little bit of an underthrown pass where he didn't really create a lot of separation, but he can go up and get it. He's not the biggest. He's only six foot. He's probably under 200 pounds, but in terms of a straight line burner the that can create after the catch, just gets north-south, is efficient, and has good ball tracking and high point skills. Tylen Wallace from Oklahoma State. In that offense, he's going to put up huge numbers, so it's important with him to look at his receiving yard market share. Is he up in the 30%? Is he Does he get to 40? I, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. Oklahoma State looks like they want to run the football and throw it to Tylen Wallace most of the time. Um, 
Tyler Johnson from Minnesota had a better performance than he did in week one, but Rashad Bateman, his teammate, again looks to be in most cases the top or the the go-to target for their new quarterback Tanner Morgan. Um, speaking of receiving yard market share, Ty Wallet or Ty Johnson, excuse me, was that guy for Minnesota. He ever or he accounted for over forty percent of the Gophers receiving yards last year. And anything in the 30s is good. If you're at 35, that's a great number. If you're in the 40s, that's elite um, production. And wide receivers historically that are above 40% receiving yard market share in their final college seasons, most of the time become very quality NFL receivers. So it's an interesting uh, dynamic new quarterback um, PJ Flex third season there in Minnesota is Ty Johnson more of a slot wide receiver that's a number two even on his own team in college or will he as the Big Ten season kind of gets going become that number one wide receiver and do we have to start looking at Rashad Bateman as someone um, that should be on the draft radar he's big uh, he can create it for the catch. He made that ridiculous one-hand catch last week um, and was, again, the, the seemingly the go-to target in Minnesota. Jumping over to young players at the NFL level, what we saw on Sunday, I'm going to highlight one player in general. A.J. Brown, the wide receiver from the Tennessee Titans, uh, was my number one wide receiver in the 2019 draft class. There was not a lot of fanfare about him. He battled some injuries in training camp. There was some speculation that, like a lot of the Ole Miss wide receivers, it was going to take him time to really acclimate to running a full route tree, that it was just going to be a long or a steep learning curve for him at the NFL level. The Titans go into Cleveland with so much hype, Baker Mayfield, Odell Beckham, but then the defense too, Miles Garrett, Sheldon Richardson, Olivier Vernon, a deep secondary with Denzel Ward, Demarius Randall at safety. And they just smacked the Browns, 42-13. to 13, And A.J. Brown had three catches, 100 yards, uh, in a game that Corey Davis, the Titans' former first-round pick, um, that was not selected by this current regime and certainly not um, their head coach, did not have a catch. Laid a goose egg, started to come on a little bit last season in his second NFL year, um, but did not really live up to being a first-round pick. It'll be interesting to see, is A.J. Brown, is he going to be become the go-to guy for Marcus Mariota in a season for him that he's playing on the fifth-year option and never really lived up to where he was selected, number two overall, um, that he needs to have a big season to get an extension from the Tennessee Titans. And if he doesn't, he's probably going to hit free agency and become a backup, kind of what his backup is doing now, Ryan Tannehill, that he played out his rookie deal. They did give him a big extension, actually, but he never really lived up to it, and, and it was the writing was on the wall last season in Miami. That could be Marcus Mariota if he doesn't have a, a big season. So to have someone like A.J. Brown step in as a day-two pick, can create after the catch, can track the football, is kind of a wide receiver in a running back's body, um, that could be huge not only just for the Tennessee Titans offense, but specifically for Marcus Mariota. Um, and one other guy I will talk about, Devin Singletary, my number one running back in this 2019 draft class. It's a weird play calling or 
unusual play calling game for the Bills. They came out in the first half and they just threw the football. That Frank Gore had the only rush of a running back in the first half for Buffalo. A lot of fluky turnovers in that first half. Um, Sam Darnold did not really do much besides throw the ball to Le'Veon Bell in the flat, hand off to Le'Veon Bell, and find Jamison Crowner um, on some speed outs at the short portion of the field. But in the second half, even being down 16 nothing. The Bills said, hey, we got to run the football a little bit. And Devin Singletary looked the part. He had a bunch of long runs, almost scored a touchdown, uh, did drop a pass early on his first target in the NFL, but caught passes out of the backfield, made defenders miss, and that's what he can do the best. He is, to me, the or he was, to me, the most elusive running back in the 2019 draft class, more than Josh Jacobs, more than Damian Harris. Even more than David Montgomery, I think David Montgomery was better um, with his contact balance that defenders could just bounce off him. But Devin Singletary, in terms of just subtly making you miss, it's not flashy, it's not a Saquon Barkley jump cut, but we saw that in this Jets game that he wasn't just taking what the blocking was giving him, he was making defenders miss, and in the receiving game, which I think will be big as that check down option for Josh Allen with Shady McCoy not on that team anymore. He needs to be able to take, you know, on a third and six. If Josh Allen needs to check down and throw it two yards, can Devin Singletary make two defenders miss and pick up the first down? He looked the part as a very good running back, a rookie running back who's probably going to get a bigger workload moving forward um, for those Buffalo Bills in a backfield that now features him, Frank Gore, and TJ Yeldon who is not involved in the offense whatsoever. So Devin Singletary and A.J. Brown, hats off to you for solid performances in week one. All right, that was it for episode two. Please subscribe, share, link, send to your friends. I appreciate you for listening to the Prospect Podcast.